So Money episode 1108, talking to your kids about money. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. It's all a conversation, and, and a lot of the conversation, you're just talking about feelings and talking about how you did it when you were younger and how you know they're going to yeah. do it better when they're older. You might be wondering how to have the hard conversation about money with your kids these days. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. We're touching on an important topic today. I know one that for many of our listeners hits home, whether your child is six or 16. You might be wondering, how do I raise a money savvy child? Well, our guests today know a thing or two about this. They're the co-authors of a new book called Raising Your Money Savvy Family for Next Generation Financial Independence. Father-daughter duo Doug Nordman and Carol Pittner co-authored the book. It's part personal stories, part practical advice, and our discussion puts this topic in the context of today's recession. A lot of families are struggling right now. What do you share? What do you keep to yourself? A little bit more about our guests. Carol Pittner joined the Navy on an ROTC scholarship following in her mom and dad's footsteps. She and her active duty spouse are rapidly approaching financial independence on a high savings rate, and they just started their own family. Her father, Doug Nordman, served for 20 years of active duty in the U.S. Navy's submarine force. He and his wife, a retired Navy reservist, reached financial independence in the late 19. 1990s on also a high savings rate. They lived in Hawaii for over 30 years, where they also raised their daughter, Carol. These days, Doug likes to surf, slow travel, write, public speak, and talk about their book. Here's Carol Pittner and Doug Nordman. Carol Pittner and Doug Norman, father and daughter, welcome to So Money. Thanks, Farnoosh. It's uh, good to be here. And it's hard to believe it's been five years. Oh, my gosh. Yes, you were one of the original guests on So Money, Doug. Uh, I believe it was episode 185, 151, 151, June 11th. Oh, my gosh. I was six months in (laughs) to podcasting. So my apologies and thanks for coming on the show at that early stage. And uh, hopefully I've gotten a little bit better at asking the questions and removing the ums. I don't think so, but here we are, not nevertheless. And this time you're back with your your offspring, your Carol Pittner. Carol, welcome to the show. It's great to meet you. And it's good to meet you too. Thank you for having us. Well, thank you for writing this book with your father. You know, Doug, uh, people can go back and listen to our episode and, and learn uh, for the first time or again about all of the uh, the great work you've done in the, in the FIRE space, financial independence, retire early. You're the author of The Military Guide as a former uh, military professional. And you're kind of one of the the trailblazers in this in this movement, so to speak, of like early retirement, financial independence. No doubt, you go then to raise a child who becomes uh, falls in your footsteps, essentially. And so, my first question to the two of you who co- you know writing this book together, I was reading it last night. I understand that when you were reflecting on some of the memories for the book, you both had different versions of the same memory, <laughs> uh, which I, mean, I guess is not, 
Yeah, who doesn't? So what was the biggest surprise that each of you learned about these experiences that you shared in the process of writing this book? Was there like a, like something that actually was diametrically opposed in terms of how you thought it went, Doug and Carol, how you experienced it or remembered it? That's the, that's the whole point of the book is that uh, our brilliant parenting tactics uh, weren't always perceived to be as brilliant as we thought they were. And sometimes Carol would uh, come back with a different impression of the way we thought it should work. And it's valuable now. I mean, it's a lot of fun to write a book with anybody in your family, let alone a, have a co-author who's, who's your daughter. But now it's valuable to see how she feels about that with an adult perspective. When she was eight years old, she might not have enjoyed something very much. But now that she's raising a baby, suddenly all that parenting stuff gets real. Mm-hmm. Carol, do you have a memory of sort of that moment? Like a lot of kids and a lot of young adults, you sort of have to make mistakes. That's how you learn. And there's resistance and there's maybe even some angst. I'm not assuming any of that, but like, you know, that's generally what happens when you're growing up, you're figuring your life out and you oppose a lot of what your parents are preaching. Was there a moment though, when you, I think we all have this moment where we recognize that maybe our parents were right and we should start to take more ownership of our, at least in this case, financial life. There wasn't really a, a teenage rebellion moment that happened. It actually came about when I was in high school. And I went to high school between the years 2006 and 2010. So I saw the very best of the housing market. And then I saw the recession and the crash that came with it. And there was a point in my high school in 2009, I, you know, my family was in Hawaii. I was born and raised in Hawaii. And at that point, the state of Hawaii could not afford to keep the schools open, the public schools open for five days a week. We actually called it furlough Fridays. It was where it was uh, so expensive at that point to keep the public schools running that they decided we had to have a couple of Fridays off a month. And it was, don't come to school or you'll be arrested. Stay off the campus Fridays. And so, I so think that's that was- a good thing, right? For right. a 13-year-old, that's like a, the Christmas every Friday. Exactly. And, and that was the nice thing was that at first it was, yes, no school. But, you know, a lot like what people are experiencing to, today in coronavirus, there, there are some advantages to school that you start to miss after a while. And so I got that small taste of not only dealing with not going to school and all of the logistical issues with that, but a lot of people in school also changed. You know, I had friends who their parents were saying, oh, yeah, you'll go to college. We'll pay for college. No problem. And then it got to the point of I might have to switch high schools because we're going to have to move because we're going to have to foreclose on the house. There were um, some teachers who were inching up on retirement. They were at that 20 or 30 year mark and they were ready to go. And then the recession hit and, you know, it crashed their portfolio as well. And they realized they were going to have to begrudgingly stay around for another five or 10 years. And so that was really when the choices became the obvious part was seeing all Mm -hmm. the people that were being forced into decisions that they didn't want to make. And those are formative years. Had that happened when you were four or five years old, you probably wouldn't have really had that actualization. Your book, by the way, together is called Raising Your Money Savvy Family for Next Generation Financial Independence. Speaking of recessions, guys, we're in one again now. And there's a lot of discussion and concern that this current generation, I guess the Gen Y, the Gen Zers, are going to have a real tough go of things given the debt that we're basically, the the country that we're going to leave them is going to be one that is severely crippled financially. And right now, it's so hard to even find a job if you're coming out of college, let alone even go to college if you are a student because of the pandemic. So, What's your advice for families who may feel 
stuck financially and are concerned about how this is going to be interpreted by their kids. It seems like for you, Carol, it was an eye-opening experience the last recession. It kind of forced you to grow up and mature in some ways faster than you would have. And what's your advice for families that need to have hard conversations or or want to sort of project uh, this modeling of like, we're going to be okay, despite the fact that the world does seem like it's falling apart. Well, that, that's a discussion that you have to tailor to the age of the person you're talking with. So a five-year-old just wants to know that everything's going to be okay. And that's good enough. Uh, the uh, 13-year-old might be a little more skeptical about that. And that's when you start talking about the value of an emergency fund or being able to cut your costs and your expenses if you need to, and being able to still keep saving money for anything else that comes up. And if you're a senior in high school, you're probably a little concerned about what's going to happen for your college education, not just who's going to pay for it, but when is it going to start and how are we going to do it? And again, those are tough conversations to have, but you lay out what you as a parent have learned over the years and how you hope all this is going to work and how that there's always going to be a plan B. Life might not happen at the speed at which you thought it was going to happen, but it's going to happen and it's going to get done one way or the other. I think one of the other things that I appreciated from mom and dad, especially during the recession, was that they not only said we're going to be okay, but they gave more qualitative details. It was things like things are going to be okay. Your college fund is taking a hit, but we can still afford college for you. You know, things are going to be okay. We're not going to be moving out of the house. In fact, this is probably the best time for us to take on some renovations we had been thinking about. And it was that kind of casual conversation, but detailed enough to reassure me that things were going to proceed as normal. Mm-hmm. And we did tell you, Carol, that you didn't have to join the Navy just to get through college. We told you that we could have gotten you through college without making you join the military. Well, yeah, but in true uh, teenage rebellious <laughs> faction, that's exactly what I did was join the Navy. What inspired you to join the Navy, Carol, besides having two military parents? Oh, so that's the funny thing is that my two military parents, the last thing they wanted me to do was join the military myself. <laughs> you, know, you want your kids to go do something different and, and better. And they wanted to see, you know, they wanted to take the potential that I have and, and do something different with that. A lot of kids have things that there's skills in the military and there's a lot of um, advantages and opportunities and experiences that you can gain in the military. And that didn't become apparent to me until mom and dad took me to the Naval Academy to visit an old friend of theirs. And sure, I fell in love with the optics. You know, you have all these midshipmen running around in uniforms and they're all fit and they're doing these wonderful things in this wonderful setting against the Severn River in Annapolis. And it's a beautiful site. You know, it's it's a crisp military academy. But as I went through the research with mom and dad, as they told me about this uh, ROTC training program that I could do alongside of college and how this program would not only, you know, start training me for the military and keep me in great physical shape, but it would also pay for college. It would also give me a ready-made job right after college. It would have a contract involved that could get me better bonuses. I could go and travel around the world. And oh yeah, I could do a lot of things that would be in the benefit for my country. And so it it started out as a simple act of teenage rebellion, but it actually turned out to be a very good life experience and opportunity for me. It's inspiring for sure. And a good reminder for people listening about the different ways you can approach your college education and perhaps come out without the debt loads that we are. Doug and Carol, you talk about how you can basically start teaching kids about money as soon as they stop eating it. (laughs) I thought that was a really funny way to uh, frame it. But what's the right approach really? Like when your kid is, let's say in kindergarten, my son's in first grade. 
They have piggy banks. I don't know if he knows, you know, how, he just definitely doesn't know how much money we make, but he associates quote unquote richness with like if he goes to a friend's house and he's like, mom, they have the Paw Patrol lookout. They're rich, you know, that they think, cause I tell him, you know, that toy is, is quite expensive. So we need to, you know, we need to just have that for Christmas. Maybe we can't just get that on a whim. And maybe that's my own fault, but I, he's starting to pick up on, you know, what has value and what, if you have things, certain things, what that means about your richness. And I don't know if I'm totally destroying his, (laughs) 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 am I doing everything wrong? Ironically, tell me everything I need to be doing with my first grader. We're we're both looking at Paw Patrol now here to figure out what we're missing. Yeah. It's like a $65 look. It's, it's the lookout. It's this, oh my God. All these children's cartoons are basically, I think they sit around a big table, these decision makers, and they're like, what are the toys that we want to sell? And that now let's create a cartoon around that because it's really products first and then, you know, story second. It's quite. Well, that's that's the but that's exactly the conversation that you have with kids at that age is they see all these wonderful things and they want to have all of them. And maybe they should, because when I was that age, I did, too. But you can also talk about how the advertisers and the producers make it look really, really good and and how sometimes that toy isn't as much fun as you think. Or you could talk about the money part of it and ask them if they want to spend their money on that and how much money would they need and how long would they have to save. And there's talk about, well, maybe somebody will give it to you for a gift someday, but maybe you could save your own money and figure out how to buy that on your own or try a friend's or buy it from a garage sale and Mm -hmm. just keep talking about all the choices. And kids don't necessarily know how to save at that age, and they're not going to be very enthusiastic about it, even if you are. But they want to learn how to manage money. And so it helps to talk about how much things cost and how you can save for a really big thing or you can spend your money on little things. And as you have those conversations, eventually they'll get comfortable enough with managing the money. We, we joke about learning to manage your money when you stop eating it because Carol found a quarter when she was just under two years old. Uh, she, she took a taste. Yeah. And uh, she started choking on it. And as a parent, that's one of those uh, intense moments there when all those uh, things that you thought could go wrong do go wrong and you're full of adrenaline and pretty excited. Uh, You know, I picked her up, turned her upside down, uh, did what I thought was a gentle pat on the back and that quarter, you know, sailed across the room. So she was okay. But that's when we realized we'd need to wait a little bit before we started teaching Carol more about money. And at that age, it's just about counting and learning the names of things and at five or six years old, then we started talking about what things cost and how to save the money for it. And a lot of the books we were reading at that time, kids' books, were also talking about the same subjects. I remember one called If You Made a Million. And the pictures were gorgeous, showing a million of this, a million of that, a million dollars. And then at the end of the book, they talked about what you could do with it and how you could save up for it. And that was all it was. It wasn't talking about interest or banks or investments. It was just showing all the marvelous things you could do with a big bucket of money. And that was enough for Carol to get her started. I really appreciate the message in the book about how uh, money affords you choices. And and I, I think it's important as a parent I, for myself, I you know, why I choose to be financially independent and to save my money 
it's because of the choices that I want to make, which may not be the choices that my children will grow up wanting to make. You see often that kids grow up, maybe they, they grow up in from wealthy families mm-hmm. and there's a rejection to money because their parents used their money in a way that wasn't uh, aligned maybe with how their children grew up seeing the world and feeling like they should or would want to live their life. And so they associate that with, they have a negative relationship with money because of that. And so where, where can, how can we teach our kids it's how to grow up um, with this independence of, of knowing that they can exercise their choices, but that money is still important to exercise your choices. Whatever those choices are, it may not be that you want the big house, but if you want to travel, that's going to still cost something. I think there's sometimes that disconnect, right? Where we think like that image of what wealth and rich is. Um, if we don't agree with that, then we're not interested in money. Well, I, I think part of it too is taking the the ideas that the child has that your kids have and encouraging them to think about how they make it happen. And I, you know, I think we're still telling Carol that we hope she makes better choices as her parenting and her adulthood than we did when she was growing up. And that might be a little snarky, but it's also pointing out that they're different choices and they've got more options and maybe they'll do a better job than we did at that age. And another thing that the kids that think everybody is richer and wealthier than they are is to point out what you're doing in your family and what's important to you guys and that we were saving our money for this and we don't want to spend a lot of money on that and we're making different choices. And then you can start talking with the kids. Uh, There's a book by David Owen, The First National Bank of Dad, and he says that kids learn to manage money by making a lot of mistakes. And he encourages parents to have a mental image of giving your child a $20 bill and watching them light it on fire and running around in the backyard like it's a 4th of July sparkler. And they're not going to do that just once. They're going to do that many times as they learn to manage their money. Quite literally in a couple of cases that I actually did buy a couple of uh, $20 (laughs) worth of sparkler sets. So, yeah. There you go. At least it was What was your biggest money mistake? What, what, speaking of mistakes, how did, what was something that you learned by accident? Oh, that's a good question. So the um, biggest mistake I think that I made as an adult is less of a mistake and more of a struggle. And it's trying to figure out the right amount of insurance. You know, do I need, you definitely need renter's insurance or home insurance. You definitely need health insurance and you definitely need car insurance. But from there, you know, how much car insurance do you really want to have? How much do you want to have for an umbrella policy? Do you need a high value item insurance policy as well? And so as an adult, I'm still struggling to trying to figure out the best way to insure myself. But as a kid, I would think that my biggest mistake was less about what I was spending on and more about figuring out more cash flow ideas. You know, now that I'm in the FI world and I'm I'm learning about all these things from all these different resources, I'm realizing that I missed out on so many entrepreneurial opportunities as a kid. Like there were so many ways I could have made more money, even if it was just something like the the lawn mowing business as a kid. You know, I could have made so much money with that on our street. I think you did pretty well at the uh, mom and dad corporation with your entrepreneurial ideas and getting jobs. I sense tension. This is what happens for dinner table conversation in our family. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting Thanksgiving uh, (laughs) at your house. Um, The Kid 401k, what's that? That's in your book. This is a way to show a kid the benefits of deferred gratification. And you use none of those words when you're talking about it with an eight-year-old. But at the age of eight, you start talking about what mom and dad do to save for retirement. And then you talk about 401ks and how kids are going to save for a really big goal later on in life. And when this came out, Marge and I were talking about our 401ks and we were trying to translate this into the things that an eight-year-old would think was important. 
And the best analogy we could come up with was buying a car when you're 16 years old. And so we tried that. And Kara was really excited at the time to find out she was getting a bigger allowance on her eighth birthday. And then she found yes. out that some of that was going to be mandatory contributions to the kid 401k. Now, she Wait, still ended what? up with a little more money. But the whole idea was that we kept talking about what she was going to do when she was 16 years old. The kid 401k, the parental contributions to match her contributions, the stock market, the investments, all of that was going to add up to when she was 16 years old. She was going to have $5,000 to go buy a car. Wow. And it was, well, this was an excuse for me to put together spreadsheets and monthly reports and just to sit there and talk about, to fantasize about what kind of car she was going to get when she was 16 years old. And then as she got older, we could get into the practical side of things like how much the car was going to actually cost, what kind of car you could get for $5,000 and what you had to pay for gas and insurance and everything else. And so every month or two, we could have this conversation about the car. And the surprising thing to me was that it took away a lot of what we call the gimmies, the, the consumer lust for something. She could look at a car and we could say, well, do you think you'd want to spend your kid 401k on that car? And she'd say, well, I don't know. I got choices. I, maybe I want that. Maybe I don't. And so she would be able to confidently look at what's out there. And we'd talk about the advertising, of course, and we'd talk about whether a car made you more of a guy magnet or a chick magnet, or whether you were able to do things with that car, like a pickup truck. And it just kept being one constant conversation about it over the eight years that it took for that to mature. Uh, we, we do include a spreadsheet in a book for parents to make up their own version of the kid 401k. You know, we walk through all the, the ways that that's built and what you can do with it. But to us, it was just a way to continue a conversation about a really big financial choice that everybody struggles with. Everybody's heard you're going to have a car payment for the rest of your life. Well, that's, that's not the case. And that kid 401k really helped Carol with deferred gratification, but it also helped take all the stress out of the 16th birthday and that first car decision. Oh, we all remember our first car purchase. Oh, Mine gosh. was a Toyota Corolla. Actually, it wasn't a purchase. My parents handed me down the Corolla and they ended up still being able to sell it. Toyotas are incredible. They, 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 they're like Hondas. A lot of these Japanese cars, they're incredible. They run on they run for decades. And thank goodness, because we did that with a Prius. And yeah. when Carol learned to drive that thing, uh, the brakes managed to survive a teen learning how to drive. Oh, yeah. I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm, I'm like, like, I'll delay that any day. That's, that's like kind of a it's, nightmare, right? It's all a conversation. And, and a lot of the conversation, you're just talking about feelings and talking about how you did it when you were younger and how you know they're going to yeah. do it better when they're older. You'll drive safer than I will, won't you? <laughs> That's not a high bar. You'll look both ways. You'll drive the speed limit. You won't ever, uh, you know, run on. a red light. No. Well, that um, was actually the funny thing about this car was, you know, dad mentioned the first half of the 401k. That was starting the initial investment and teaching me how to deal with deferred gratification. But he didn't mention the second half of that problem. Um, when I was about 14 years old, a couple of years before the kid uh, 401k was going to be accessible, mom and dad were looking at a new car. And by new car, I mean a brand new two-year-old, uh, what was it, 2006 Toyota Prius. And this was when Priuses were still new and all the rage. Oh, so and, hard to find. Right. That's right. And, and a price tag of $21,000 at the time. And mom and dad had never bought a $21,000 car before. You know, For them, it was still a new used car, but this is more than they'd ever paid for a car in their life. And they're debating this in the front seat while we're all on a drive somewhere in the old car, of course. 
and I look at mom and dad and I say, well, what happens if I give you guys uh, $5,000, you know, my money from the kid 401k? And then I would drive the car for the year and a half that I'm finishing up high school between my license and college. And then when I go off to college, what if I just have my $5,000 back and you guys still have the car? And and the initial uh, reaction from the front seat was, oh, that might that might actually work. Wow. Yeah. Look at that. Dropping knowledge in the backseat of the car. I love it. And how you, old were you? 14? I was 14 at the time. And then mom and dad came back with a counteroffer because I was still learning what counteroffer meant in negotiations at the time. And they said, we, we like this plan, but we're also going to add in the stipulation that any kind of damage to the car is coming out of, as the joke is, your allowance, but it's coming out of your kid 401k. And so if there was any fender benders, if I totaled the car, of course, I wouldn't get my money back. But that was actually what inspired me to be a good driver was it was it was less about uh, protecting the car and it was more about protecting my investment in that sense. Right. Did you really call it a kid 401k? Absolutely. That's the name you got to have for it. It's a, yeah. it's a long time, right? But when you you're eight years old. Do you have 401ks in your, in the, I guess, how does it work with government jobs? You have like a 403 B? How does well, it in, work? in the military, Pension? in the federal civil service, everybody invests in a thrift savings plan, and that's a 401k. And that was okay. part of the conversation because when Carol was celebrating her eighth birthday, the military was a very few months away from starting to offer a 401k to service members. And this was on our minds. And that conversation just kind of filtered on down to, hey, what do you do for the big eighth birthday? It's a big milestone. We've got to do something important financially here. And that's what came out. And and now, now, I'll admit that as a 14-year-old, she was playing all the right keys on my piano because I'm a major tech nerd. And this Prius had just triggered all my uh, tech nerd buttons about the, the efficiency and about the engineering. And so when she offered to help finance that purchase with her share of the equity, I was I was hooked. So, And you have to reward that initiative. You have to absolutely support somebody who comes up with an idea like that. And it was interesting because... You probably know that your kids, you give them two choices and they pick a third one that you never thought of. Right. Oh, yes. Always. Yep. Uh, Wow. So much to learn from the two of you. I love the two perspectives in your book. It's what makes this so special and different in the sea of books out there about, you know, raising, there's not a lot of books about money savvy, you know, raising money savvy kids, but um, always important to bring new perspectives and experiences to the fold. Carol Pittner and Doug Nordman, thank you so much. Your book again is called Raising Your Money Savvy Family for Next Generation Financial Independence. Thank you. Thanks, Farnoosh. And it's going to be fun to keep listening to these episodes. And thank you again for having us. We really enjoyed this. The book again, it's called Raising Your Money Savvy Family for Next Generation Financial Independence. You can go to facebook.com slash nextgenfinance to learn more. Also, childfire.com. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope your day is so money. Money.